<clears throat> this is the last day of the formal uh, retreat. <clears throat> and so the morning reflections, I hope these have given some benefit. The uh, important thing is to learn to listen and uh, observe, you know, through the, through listening, through how things affect your consciousness. Because we, we do, uh, when we're trying to think, and uh, when we just listen on the level of listening to words and whether we agree or disagree or understand or don't understand, like what we hear or don't like or bored or interested or whatever. And so these are the reactions. And so mindfulness then is awareness. It's not, not a reaction. It's awareness of the reactions that we're having. So any kind of, you know, like uh, reactions you're having is awareness of them. They're like this, and so this this is a reflection on on noticing, paying attention to the way it is. So then the. Reaction, whatever, whatever it is, whether it's agree, agreeing, disagreeing, whatever, being the knowing, rather than, than uh, you know, getting caught up with the reaction, with thinking about it or suppressing it. <clears throat> so the actual. Reality, realization, is uh, is simplicity, being aware. It's as simple as that. Nothing more. And yet, you know, when one thinks about Buddhism and Buddhist practice and meditation and Buddhist techniques and all the things that we we know about Buddhism, it sounds complicated. You know, like development, cultivation of the way, the gradual stages, the the shoulds and shouldn'ts, the moral imperatives, the the views and opinions, the traditions. All the rest become, you know, get it become make it sound like it's very difficult and very complicated. So sometimes we kind of resign ourselves to to just well you know I've do the best I can <clears throat> um, to whatever capacity we we decide you know we make that decision we are like this So what I'm encouraging you to do is be the be the observer the witness to the sense of yourself, you know, as a meditator, uh, what stage or what level, whether you're good, whether you have samadhi, don't have samadhi, whether you can sit still and and uh, be calm or you feel restless. Identity with any of these kind of conditions be the witness of that identity, it's like this. So I am this kind of person, and it's easy to, the worldly cultural conditioning is, is based on identity, 
on defining, on having, on being somebody, <clears throat> having a, a nationality, uh, be belonging to a class or an ethnic group, a religious group. People, they oftentimes feel very insecure because they aren't sure where they belong. <clears throat> But if you're told where you belong, you belong you're this way or that way, and uh, still with all the affirmations and confirmation of that we're this way and that way, it's still, you know, it still doesn't isn't liberating. Sometimes we get stuck, we get bound and and uh, enslaved to inferior to a sense of inferiority or superiority. So the reflection is going on 32 parts of the body, you know, so way of contemplating the nature of, of this body. And we don't usually identify with most of it. You know, we don't take position, I am feces. Or past things like this. We, we tend to, we don't particularly want to even think about this, you know. The, this this part of our experience is usually, you know, hidden away. We don't seek an identity with it. We can with the outer service, like I, I have a beautiful complexion, or, or my hair is. People tell me I have beautiful hair and teeth, nails. So kesaloma nakadanta tajo, this kind of basic reflection when taking the precepts, hair of the head, hair of the body, nails, teeth, and skin. And so the the uh, cosmetic industry plays on this, you know, to look good, look beautiful, attractive, standards of, you know, a cosmetic surgery to not look old, <clears throat> different ways of taking wrinkles out of the, out of your skin, out of your face, and doing all kinds of things to, to keep this illusion of I am a very, uh, I'm still attractive, I'm young, I'm desirable, according to modern uh, fashion or attitudes. <clears throat> so that's vanity and and this obsession with what one looks like and being attractive and beautiful or whatever it is, uh, you know, vanity is a illusion we create. And it's rather cruel, you know, vanity is never satisfied. You can never be physically uh, perfect enough. So vanity is a way of looking at yourself, looking at your face and looking for what's wrong with it. You know, the little wrinkle here or the ears would stick out too far, or whatever. There, then there's a kind of aversion created. So we live in a society where people are very critical of themselves and and are so strongly identified with with fashion or appearance. Then the 32 parts of the body. Then this is not 
you know, trying to create a depressing view of yourself, but recognizing the nature of the body. Not to, to feel aversion to the body, but dispassion. No longer breaking through this, this kind of uh, superficial identity and cruelty that we perpetuate through the ego and through vanity. So in this sense of the way it is, it's, uh, it's uh, as isness, and the datakada, the datada, the, in Pali this word datada, datta is uh, that which is now present. <clears throat> There's not a person, and it's not stating, after the, the Buddha was enlightened, use the word datakada, that which is present now, not Prince Siddhartha, son of King Suddhodana, uh, the Buddha, and all these kind of things. It was, uh, it was like a, a, a reference, a reference to just the state of being, the as is, thus as is one now, which is not, you know, not, not stating uh, qualifications or position, personality, any, any of these other things like being a royalty or being a monk or a nun or man or woman or working class, young or old, da-da-da, the Takada. Well, this is a kind of like poly, poly grammar lesson, but it, it, it has a way of, you know, it's, tar- it's difficult to translate into uh, English language, as is one, thus, is it, thus, thus come one, as is now, the way it is. This is about the best we can do with English translations. Because we don't really have a a word for it. But but it's all right. It's not trying to... We don't need a word for it. The point is to to uh, awaken and see through the the way we hold uh, and define ourselves through attachment to the body, to to the appearance, what we look like, the color of our skin, our height, our age, gender of the body. People attached to uh, sexual preferences now, being gay or heterosexual or bisexual, whatever. These are these are artificial creations of identity. And yet, these can be the you know what we live for to <clears throat> perpetuate this as being me, demanding to be recognized according to these limitations. Or like a race, proud to be black, and affirming, you know, I might have black skin, but I'm proud of it, is, is uh, you know, increasing this identity of, with the color of your skin, with race.
Now this is the way of the world, is just to notice this. It's not a criticism of it, but paying attention to the way it is, that these concepts, being black or white or whatever, then these are cultural conditioning. This is this is about cultural conditioning, social conditioning. This is not the way it is. The way it is is that whatever these conditions might be, they are conditions. They're anicca and anatta. That in order to really see anicca anatta, it's not to get rid of the condition, but to see the nature of condition. So this vipassana is witnessing the nature of conditioned phenomena. And so that's the anicca, impermanence. So that's why in... in, uh, in just to put that Sakyaditi into perspective, I keep recommending uh, that you intentionally create yourself and listen to what you think you are. And uh, so that I am Ajahn Sumato, I am an American, this kind of thing. <clears throat> Listening to it. Because these are the, the uh, habitual identities. I am a good meditator. I am a <clears throat> Mahatera, which means very senior monk. <laughs> Listening to these identities. And then, you know, one can, can uh, go through the spectrum of, you know, the best to the worst. But the point is the listening. That which listens is not, this has no quality, has no, has no identity. In other words, being the listener, being the listening itself, <clears throat> then you begin to, to understand Sakya Ditti as a fetter rather than as a position to take on on your life and your practice and your abilities or lack of them. So even if you think you're a terrible meditator, it's, if, you, if you have an insight of, I am a, I'm a hopeless meditator, and you actually witness that, that's better than if you spend the next 20 years developing samadhi and never having that insight even though you might look good on the mat. Because <clears throat> if you never break through, break down that illusion, I mean, you can, one can just develop meditation habits. You know, just through training yourself, you can sit still and get samadhi and and get very peaceful and calm. But the basic illusion can still, one can still be very identified with, I have my meditation practice and I can sit for five hours without moving. I can, I'm, I can sit in full lotus. And I'm, uh, <laughs> I meditate so many hours a day. And I've been doing it for 40 years. <laughs> this whole, the whole sequence of being conceited about, you know, how many years and how skilled uh, you are with getting jhanas and getting blissful states. Where the immediacy of just listening, I am, you know, they're looking at somebody thinking, oh, he, he's been sitting still there for 
for the whole hour and I just feel so restless that I'm hopeless. Just by recognizing that this, the thought of I'm hopeless is a thought, is, is, uh, it is what it is. But seeing it in that context of knowing it, knowing all conditions are impermanent rather than perpetuating that kind of thinking, believing it and going along with it, or merely suppressing it, denying it, is the other extreme. And the Wichikicha, um, doubt, This can actually be a very skillful means, developing doubt as a means. Because that being uncertain, insecure, not knowing. Recognizing it rather than merely reacting to it. So the ignorance is, this, I, want, I want to know, be sure. So what should I do? How should I practice? Tell me, Ajahn Samira, when I leave here, how should, how should I practice meditation when I go home? And um, on and on like this one can, if you just observe this, what should I do? That state of doubting, listening, noticing. In my early years, I used doubt as my means. So everything, everything that, Everything. Where's, what did I do with the key to the door? Even kind of just ordinary things I'd use. Just to observe this, the, uh, when you que- ask yourself a question, what, what should I do next? That blank spot, that gap, that, uh, that is obvious that one can notice if you're mindful. So am I, how should I meditate? What should I do? Should I become a monk or just stay as a lay person? Can lay people, how, can they develop as well as monks or nuns? So this leads, you know, the question, what does that question do? You know, then you think, well, do they, you know, tell me. You're a monk and you probably know. That's not the point, is it? It's being aware now of this not knowing, of this uh, non-plussing of the thinking process. What should I do? Should I ordain or not? And there's, there's a, the thinking mind stops for a moment. There's a gap. I mean, noticing this, learning to, to be patient rather than just reacting, you know, trying to find out what to do next. What should I do next? Get an answer of some sort from, and usually asking somebody else. <clears throat> so this is like learning. It's as simple as this: this listening, paying attention to the way it is, to the pain or the discomfort of uh, that you might be experiencing, or. Just noticing even like the pleasure of samadhi rather than just indulging in it. It's like this. Pleasure is, you know, arising, ceasing. Pain is arising, ceasing. This, this way of noticing, observing, investigating. 
and that which doesn't arise and cease. That point of awareness, it's this way. Also, just reflecting on space, relationship of, uh, say, visual space and form. It's a way of investigating experience where you observe through seeing, just noticing space, using the perception of space. And so the space has no boundary. It's your, the, there's meditations of the four boundless states. Infinite space, infinite consciousness, nothingness, and neither perception nor non-perception. This is usually put into a very highly developed position of <clears throat> very high jhanas that sound so kind of remote from anything, anything real. You, when they talk about jhanas, usually or you read Vasudhimagga, you get these, these kind of jaundiced views of developing this and going from this to that. And, and, it, and it, it's this whole level, this way of thinking of stages and that this, this, is, this is the what the thinking process is about. Thinking is about stages. Thinking is linear. Thinking is hierarchical. Thinking is, divides everything. <clears throat> so being aware of thinking, so that's why you can't think about not thinking. Or you can, but you're still caught in the thinking process. <laughs> Stop thinking by observing thinking or listening to yourself thinking. Now there's like space, consciousness, nothingness, neither perception or non-perception. <clears throat> these have no, like they, these are formless <clears throat> They're, they're boundless or infinite. So then they, these words tend to, you know, when you, when you think of how you conceive the world, the world you create and the sense of yourself in the world, it's all about identity with, with forms, with, with boundaries, with precepts, rules, appearances, Judgments, good, bad, right, wrong. So this is what we're familiar with. This is what our culture is, uh, you know, all about. Is very much a materialistic way of thinking and 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 uh, you know putting things in terms of their quality, the quality of something, of a condition. So notice that quality is about good and bad, high and low, right and wrong. These are qualities of conditioned phenomena, beautiful and ugly. Now when you Start noticing space. Is space ugly or beautiful? Is it right or wrong? Can you apply quality to it other than it? It's spacious. You know, space is spacious. And so spacious, space then, you can actually see space, you know. I'm looking at it right now. But to notice the space is I'm not, I'm not absorbing and giving my attention to the forms in the space. But I'm not annihilating the forms. I'm just using the, the word space which triggers off this noticing, this reality of here and now, this through visual consciousness. 
So it's here all the time, you know, whether you notice it or not. And then you can think, well, this meditation hall is spacious. Space is in the hall, but you realize the hall is in space. So when, where does the space end in terms of this moment? It stops the thinking process, doesn't it? Because you, there's no, it's not like a, a pillar or a person or a shrine or a thing with a quality. It has no boundary. It's infinite in terms of the... Re- reality of this moment. Where does space end? And so then apply the consciousness, infinite consciousness, a conscious of, of things, isn't it? So you, you look at, a, at the clock or the monk, or the nuns or looking at conscious of the things or sounds, smells, tastes, touch, thoughts. So consciousness of things. But consciousness is like space too. It has no, no boundary. So when you let go of the things, when you're withdrawing your attachment, your interest, your obsession with being conscious of things, there's still consciousness without a boundary. Then you're noticing. And then nothingness, no thingness. And that's a that's what I like with the English word nothing or no thing, isn't it? You, an interesting reflection. You say nothing almost is annihilation. It's nothing, meaning it doesn't matter. It's like dismissal. Or no thing. It's a reference to, it's, this is no thing. Consciousness, infinity, boundlessness, no thing. It's not, it's not an annihilation of things or denial of things, but noticing no thing. So a thing, the English word thing, it always refers to to a form, mental state or, you know, like a emotion or an object, something, anything. <clears throat> and then neither perception nor non-perception and that's a tongue twister, isn't it? What in the hell is that? <laughs> and it sounds so complicated that, you know, you think, I mean, you really have to be highly developed to, to get to realize that one. Maybe that's just awareness, isn't it? It's neither perception nor non-perception. Sound of silence works for, does it? You know, you could apply, apply, apply that neither perception nor non-perception to sound of silence works. Is it a perception or not or so this is this, you know, these are words and these are concepts that we have in the Theravada Pali canon and so uh, you know we can use them if we try to think about them 
and figure them out. And then we're still, you know, we we form views and opinions, and and, and we can form metaphysical uh, conceptions, and and uh, it all gets terribly, terribly complicated. But if you really see the point of the Buddhist practice is simplicity, getting to this one point, ekagata, pure awareness, non-attachment, is like this. And so this is, this is a, to to recognize this is is awareness. After you've kind of gone through the whole gamut of conditioned phenomena, like in uh, the four satipatthanas, four foundations of mindfulness, the way of exploring, you know, the gayanupasana, vedanupasana. Jitanupasana, Tamanupasana, four foundations of the, 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 the body, the feeling, the jitta or consciousness itself, mental state, mood, and Dhamma. So in Tamanupasana, Saripatthana, you know, that's where this, these, these teachings, the Four Noble Truths, the Paticca Samuppada, Dependent Origination, these are, these are skillful means and these are conventions, but they're pointing at this, you know, if used properly, they're, they're taking us to simplicity, to just this, the simple reality of being. And yet they in themselves sound very complicated. Now in trying to figure out Paticca Samuppada, dependent origination intellectually, you know, it just sounds like very complicated uh, sequence of words and, and uh, must be, you know, it must be very advanced to to really be able to do that one. Or the Abhidharma, I mean, there you've got an inventory of phenomena. So that's where, you know, seeing words as words, beginning to n- not be so interested in the meaning or the the complexity of thinking, but, you know, simple investigation of, of a word is a word, a thought is a thought, is like this. I am is a thought. I am Ajahn Sumato, and it's a, that defines, that's a quality, that's a special quality. You know, I am Ajahn Sameto. I am is it's a thought or it's a kind of statement of being, but I am Ajahn Sameto defines that. Is the I am is me is this person. <clears throat> and so you can take any thought. <clears throat> And just you know, like a mantra, and and just and listen to it. Not not try to use it for samadhi to kind of concentrate, but just to develop the sense of listening, listening to yourself thinking this one thought, one word. The word comes and goes. You can't sustain even puto. You know, have to keep repeating it. <clears throat> Or using Bhutto for, because if you repeat it, you know, 
and concentrate on the repetition, you go into concentration, pleasant state of concentration. So it becomes samatha meditation. Or into vipassana, then it's more uh, uh, investigation of the word. The meaning, the meaning, uh, the one who knows the knowing, it's then, then in what is, what is it that knows? Or who is it that knows? Because consciousness in a form, you know, is the experience of knowing. And this is a, being, a, having a, a body that's conscious. So this is the reality is knowing. Knowing is like this, knowing, but that which knows, if I create myself as I am Arjan Samejo, then I tend to think of myself as this special person that knows things and doesn't know things, that has, you know, has this history, these memories defined and, and, and perceived and, and, and that according to uh, language, memory, thought. But knowing I am Ajahn Sameto is Sankara. Isn't grasping the idea of Sankara as impermanent, but, but observing, witnessing, being mindful of the exploring so that the thinking process is no longer uh, your modus operandi. You can let go of thinking. Uh, you no longer need to figure it all out on that level, but trusting yourself just to observe the way it is. And then that extrapolate and all conditioned phenomena is impermanent. And that means subtlety like emotional feelings, uh, you know, vedananupasana, just like movements of energy in the body, energetic experiences, pleasurable, painful, moods of the mind, being elated or depressed or bored or whatever, being right and wrong, good, bad. So that's the whole world, isn't it? That's everything. Phenomena, all phenomena includes, you know, the whole the whole conditioned realm. And that which knows the conditioned realm. And then if you, you can't know the knowing, you have to be that. So that's an act of surrender, you know, of recognizing, trusting, having faith in, relaxing, opening. Now in, in meditation and have like nimittas or signs and so sometimes people have these, you know, insights or signs and, and they make a big deal of it. Because <clears throat> we all want to feel, you know, as if the ego wants to be, I'm I have a lot of barami, or I'm special, or I'm, you know, a reincarnated lama, or something like this. I'm very special. I'm advanced. Or having signs is like you're getting something. So these, anything like this, these are forms. They come and go. So, you know, these don't make and don't give them any importance. Because the ego will grasp, you know, we, we like to feel special. 
the ego wants to emphasize, you know, I'm I'm special case. So in Ajahn Chah, it was always using emphasizing the ordinariness. So this word in Thai, the word for ordinary is called tamada. When I was learning Thai, you know, I kept hearing, I'd listen to, you know, I have to listen to these talks. And, uh, and I'd pick up, I'd hear words, you know, certain words would stand out. And one of them that I kept hearing was tamada, tamada. And uh, this is, uh, like, used quite often. And, and, and in Thai, fortunately, because it is a language that's, you know, has, developed through Pali, its association with Pali and through Buddhism. So it's Tamma, like Dhamma, the word Dhamma, Tamada, ordinariness. The English word ordinary tends to sound, you know, like, we, we, you know, our culture is very much wanting to be special, the best and the, the greatest, the mightiest, the superpower, the prettiest, the best student, the most advanced meditator, the highly attained monk, the arahant, <laughs> the PhD, and all this. <laughs> now, just note it in, in the in the language. Our culture is based on extremities. You know, the European cultural programming is is based on our. You know, not not being ordinary, but being, you know, trying to be the best, the competitive, the the winner, the champion. So these are, you know, these are extremities in terms of of qualities, a conditioned phenomena. But what is ordinary then? is mindfulness because it's nothing that you can that has any quality that you can say is the best you can't say mindfulness is 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 the best is the most beautiful things like this or you, you know you get, you have to go into kind of philosophical abstractions playing with your mind but in the reality of this moment here and now, mindfulness, where is you know it's ordinary. Where say uh, fourth jhana is the best, or neither perception. I'm so advanced in jhana's development that I can get, you know, I just sit here and go right into neither perception or non-perception. And well, if I said that, you know. And, and you know, and your your association with me was because I've taken a position of being very advanced. And then you go, oh, look at Sumato, I mean, Ajahn Sumato. You say, no, don't say Sumato. I mean, Tanjau Kun, Sumato John. He's a, he can go into neither perception nor non-perception just as he sits down, you know. But when I sit down, I just, my mind wanders all over the place and restless. So, it, you know, the, then, then this becomes the best and then you, you know, you, you compare yourself with, with this sense of he's the best and I'm, I can't, you know, I'm so hopeless. Now I'm just pointing this out, how that this is, this is all about Language and thought and extremity, isn't it? This is to think, you know, the best is a thought and the worst. And when we worship, we want, we're worshiping the highest. The God is up high. Everything, you know, that's up there.
Nibbana is the highest happiness. So then Nibbana is way up, you know, in outer space. And so that's where the logic of, of language, you know, when you put things in terms of good, better, best, bad, worse, worse, and preferences, then there's a structure there, a worldly structure that we get stuck into. We get caught into that. The, the structure of thought, of hierarchical, of A to Z and one to a hundred. So then that, that's a, you know, everything becomes more than what it is. It becomes complicated. So then the mindfulness, there's nothing special about it. And that's why it's difficult for us because if it, if it had any specialty, we'd, we'd be easier to notice if it had a quality. But this doesn't seem like anything, like nothing actually, like no thing. And the conditioning that we have is wanting to become something wanting to get something or get rid of something. <clears throat> so the vanity or personality, cultural conditioning is emphasizing what's right and wrong, what, what you should do and how you should think, how you should behave and how you shouldn't behave. What is acceptable, what allows you to to, you know, be respected and admired and what is despised in our society, our values. And so we're very conditioned by, by these sankharas. You know, we're intimidated endlessly by them and, and, and we're frightened because you know, on that level of social conditioning, to be outcast, to be thrown out, rejected, despised, me, you know, and then the self is, I'm no good. Where if you're adored and adulated and raised up, everybody admires you, then you're accepted. That's the best. But the but ordinariness, tamada, is like this. So if I, if I just said, well, you know, when I sit down, I just mindful. Tamada, you know, just aware of what's happening. And then you think, well, that doesn't sound like much of anything compared to neither perception or non-perception. <laughs> The highest jhana. And so they say, do you, you know, there's Lumpudun, somebody uh, in this little booklet, Ajahnatikol only, was on, uh, they asked him this, Lumpudun asked him if he ever got angry, you know, because he's considered an arahant. And, he's, and his answer was, uh, anger arises, but I don't grasp it. Or I know it immediately. In Thai, like, rutan means that you're with it. You know, when you feel in this kind of condition where anger arises, you you know it immediately like this, so you don't grasp it. Well, that's awareness. You know, so awareness isn't isn't like a you know like like every, all this stuff ceases, and you're just a you're kind of totally kind of bland, pure. You know, nothing ever happens to you. But the, the conditions of this planet, you know, and your vipaka karma still operate. So the conditions for anger arise, 
but you rutan, you know it immediately like this. Awareness. Not because I'm in some kind of transcendental state of bliss to where when the conditions for anger arise, I'm just oblivious to them. But it's tamada, isn't it? The ordinariness of awareness. Means that I'm not blissed out or in a state of, you know, where I don't notice. I'm not in a trance or oblivious to the conditions of this moment. So I'm not kind of bypassing anything or avoiding anything, but receiving life, the flow of life as it it happens in its ordinariness, in the way of daily life, the way it is. And this, of course, was Lung Po Cha's emphasis in uh, life in Wat Panopapong, Tamada, he kept saying. And then uh, it's just uh, you, you learn, the emphasis was on mindfulness around just being a monk, the monastic routine, the, the way you lived, the, what they call the core what, the, the way we did things. Just the movement of, you know, the monastic lifestyle itself. So we didn't sit for hours in going into deep states, trances, or or getting special signs, or you know, monks would have special signs or special insights. There was never any emphasis in saying, "Oh, he's a very advanced meditator. He's he's a better meditator than that one." Or that there was there's never a kind of attempt to to create this sense of of somebody being better, of just being in the flow and the movement of consciousness within the conventional forms that we're using, such as the monastic lifestyle. Well, to really appreciate that, you have to let go of a lot of your own, you know, I had to let go of a lot of my desires for tranquility. Because I liked getting very concentrated. And, uh, you know, into states of concentration. And I didn't particularly, you know, like a lot of the, you know, things that, you know, seem so disruptive to this, to my concentration, were part of the lifestyle. So we, we didn't have, you know, we, we always had to go on arms round in the morning and, and follow this routine. They, you, know, you, you know, you didn't have the chances. Here you've got better chances of, of hours of concentration if you want them. There, it was always seemed there's something happening. But the emphasis was on the awareness and then the letting go of one's own demands, you know, like not wanting, resenting, resisting the way it is or the, or the conventional way they did things there. So, you, you know, in, in that kind of training, you actually have to let go of a lot of your own views and opinions if you're going to live there. If you really want to stay with Ajahn Chah, you had to, I had to do it the way they do it. And to do it like that meant I had to let go of strong views and preferences that I held on a personal level. Well, and that actually led to uh, a kind, you know, the result of that kind of life was contentment. Where the other of attaining, achieving, developing, getting, 
you know, trying to attain high levels of concentration or this, that, that brings up in me discontentment with things that seem to get in my way. Things that are coarse or that I don't want to do or that uh, annoy me. So, so then... Um, where with Lung Po Cha, a lot of the life was quite annoying. Then in, in, you know, with wanting to feel that I'm, I have attained something in this life. Remember, you know, wanting Ajahn Cha to tell me, you know, The desire for the, the master to say, you know, Sumato, you are a Sotapanna. You're a stream enterer. And then we can have a celebration. <laughs> and then I'm special, aren't I? Special. I'm an attained person. I'm special. You know, those monks there, they're not stream enterers yet. They're still, you know, working on it. But uh, <laughs> because the ego wants to, you know, the, you know, the ego, the, my ego definitely wants to f- feel, you know, I am somebody. If I spent 40 years as a Buddhist monk, you know, I want... You know, invested 40 years of a lifetime, most of it, into Buddhist monasticism. And so, you know, you you hear about people getting enlightened on a park bench like Eckhart Tolle. And they, <laughs> you know, here I've been celibate for 40 years, living... <laughs> And he just goes off to a park, sits on a bench and gets enlightened. But the thing that you can know is that, it, that these are perceptions, isn't it? That, um, that the Ajahn Chah is always very, you know, would always, <clears throat> is, is, you know, his, his effectiveness as a teacher was not what he taught in any verbal way, but <clears throat> his ability to get get me to see what I'm doing, what I'm actually doing. So when, when I would, you know, suggest, try to get him to confirm my attainments, he'd, he'd, you know, he'd, he'd get me to look at what I'm actually doing, trying to get what I want. Now that's really helpful, you see. There's no, no, you know, authority from above saying, you know, Ajahn Sumato is a verified stream enterer or something like this. Or Arahant, or. Because that, that is, that, those are concepts that, that's personality, views, opinions. Even if somebody, even if the, the great masters say this, you know, even if, if great masters say, you know, you are a stream enterer, definitely. The real practice is observing the, you know, the, not to cling to this, even, even if, if the universe proclaims it. Because they, it's the tamada practice, isn't it, of awareness which is no personal attainment, nothing special, ordinariness. And it doesn't, you know, you know, it doesn't, I don't look any different when I'm mindful or not. You still see me sitting here and you can project onto me, you know, people that, uh, Assuming he's very mindful, he's a, 
in the state of neither perception and non-perception. As soon as he sits down, he goes right, it snaps into this high jhanic state. And then, then you project, if you've got that idea, then you tend to see me in that way. Or maybe, I don't believe that. Look at me. I saw him twitch. <laughs> I saw him scratch his nose in the middle of the meditation. And the way he wolfed down that ice cream at the last... (laughs) (laughs) So these are, you know, ideals and... And putting them in the context that this what I'm trying to really emphasize is be a listener of your own thinking and get to really see thought is a it's an artifice it's artificial it's it's created thinking all thoughts even poly thoughts or you know so i mean it's whether they're good or bad high or low they are what they are and and so they're not to be trusted not to be grasped but to be understood they're they're useful, they can be useful tools. But as uh, identities, they only, they only lead to more uh, disillusionment, suffering. 